Welcome back to the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Delaney. My name is James Bodden, and episode 183 has an incredibly fantastic guest, Cheyenne Sampson, VP of Sales, Customer Experience at Pet Desk, and the author of Triage Sales Coaching. We kick things off, and Cheyenne talks about how she got started in sales, what led her to writing her book, and why it focuses on the importance importance of sales coaching. Around the 15 minute mark, David and Cheyenne talk about who benefits from the system that's laid out in the book and how different types of salespeople fit into the process and program. Moving right along, Cheyenne gets really granular on what it takes to run a fantastic sales call and the things that we can all look for to improve. David and Cheyenne cover how to put the finer touches on setting up a sales professional to run a great sales conversation. How do you coach somebody to have that type of success? David and Cheyenne go really deep on this. And to wrap things up, Cheyenne talks about adapting your internal motivation no matter what industry you're working in. It's a great topic that David brings up about how to stay motivated if you're working in an industry that you might not absolutely love such a great episode so many tactical and practical things covered here in episode 183 if you enjoy this episode with cheyenne sampson go over to tenbound.com leave us a review and as always enjoy episode 183 of the sales development podcast hello 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 everybody welcome to another edition of the sales development podcast i am honored to be joined by Cheyenne Sampson, who just released the Triage Sales Coaching book, which is amazing, and is currently VP of Sales and Customer Experience over at Pet Desk. Cheyenne, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited about this book. I was reading this going, oh my God, this is so helpful for sales managers who really, you know, have to dive into coaching. I mean, coaching is sort of left behind with all the computers and the spreadsheets and everything that the sort of the manager job has morphed into. But you say that coaching should be, you know, 75 to 80% of what we do. And you lay out this amazing system. Before we dive in, how did you get into sales and come to write this book? Okay. Well, that's, I mean, long story, so I'll keep it short. I started cold calling when I was 14, calling for Kirby and setting appointments. And so I've been on the phones for a long time, but where my career really shifted was in 2009 when, you know, I had been, I'd been selling up in Northern California, but with all the changes in the space, knew I needed to get with an online company and Yelp was really big in San Francisco, but nobody knew it anywhere else. And I knew Yelp was going to be the next big thing. And so I moved my little family. I had, I was a single mom to three and I moved us from Northern California to, from a big house to a little tiny studio apartment and making 30 K a year in San Francisco because I knew Yelp was going to be big. And so the next six and a half years at Yelp was a really amazing journey And I went from selling to sales management to sales training. And so it was my first sales training role. And I think it was because one, I was one of the only people with prior sales experience at Yelp. And then two, because I have a proclivity for for helping others, right? And so combining those two things, and then that's 
those early days is where triage actually was born is because I was, I was training and developing new sales managers. These were 22 to 25 year old humans that had been on the phones for a year or less, and then suddenly given a team and they didn't know how to take that team and turn those people into, you know, sales rock stars, so to speak. And we would just kind of throw them into the fire. And so I put together a management training and then included in that management training was triage. And it was just teaching them how to break down sales calls to get the best result, right? And then it's developed over the years as I've kind of moved and and helped so many companies in the past decade. Got it. And what would you see? So, So as you mentioned in the book, you would have, you know, salespeople come in to these training classes and their managers would work with them and their managers had been top performing salespeople at the company. And, and you saw that, you know, they had just been an individual contributor. Now they're a manager and they were sort of falling flat. I would, you know, for lack of a better word, when it comes to coaching. Well, they're two totally different jobs, right? Selling is one career. And then management is a totally different job, but we don't treat it that way. So usually when you have, and I'm not saying every company does this, but for the vast majority in almost every company that I've worked with, you take salespeople and you move them into to leadership roles. Maybe you teach them how to have tough conversations or you know, you're making sure that they're holding the team accountable. But there are so many things that fall through the cracks. And one of them is coaching. They know how they sold. Sometimes they know how they sold. Sometimes they don't even know how they sold, right? They just knew they were good at closing, but maybe they didn't really know how they got there. And then they are in charge of, you know, eight to 12 people, depending on the size of the team and getting those humans to close. Well, everyone has a different approach, first of all. Second of all, depending on the methodology you're using, how you're implementing that. Three, can this new manager actually train and and teach those things, right? And do they know how to break it down? Do they know how to communicate that? Do they know how to hold that person accountable to those milestones as they are coaching? All of that's kind of elusive. And we just, you know, up the leadership chain, you just expect those managers to take a team and turn them into what they were. And, you know, that it doesn't always pan out that way. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, there seems to be, there's a few books on coaching, but it's not, it's not specifically, you know, laid out as a sort of a how-to guide. It's more, it could be coaching other things or even sales coaching, but this is laid out in a very specific structure. You call it like the triage steps. Where did the triage come from? And, you know, how do you have it sort of structured in the book? Yes. Okay. Well, first, there are a lot of great books out there on coaching. Leadership Playbook, one of my favorite ones, but I digress from that. So triage comes from, I was an EMT for a short period of time back as a youngster. And as an EMT, what they teach you in triage is that you know, you prioritize by case and severity of case, right? So And that's really where this came from, because what I would notice is in in triage in the medical field, you're given a scenario where someone's sitting there and they're bleeding from the head and they're and they're calling for you. Right. And it, it attracts your attention. But the person sitting there quietly, not just laying there on the ground that's probably the person that's dying because they're probably not breathing, right? Or their heart has stopped or both, right? 
And so that's exactly what triage is because in sales, every salesperson wants to work on the clothes. So they're, you know, waving their hands saying, I need to work on the clothes, the clothes, the clothes. And most sales managers will go for that. How are you handling objections? You know, you know, what did your discovery sound like or whatever? But sometimes the problem starts way before that. So they may not be raising their hands and saying like, Hey, I don't know how to actively listen. I don't sound good on the phone, but those are the issues that are killing the call, right? They're never going to close if the person, if they're not listening to the human, they're never going to close if the person doesn't respect them or, or if they're not professional on the phone, they're never going to close if they don't know how to do an in-depth discovery and then tie that in by painting a really close or clear picture. So there are steps along the way, just like in the medical field, let's control the bleeding first. Let's make sure they're breathing, right? And then, or make sure they're breathing, control the bleeding. And then let's work on the little scrapes and cuts along the way to make sure that we have a healthy call. Right. And and so you're walking around and your your sales team is, you know, in various states of injury. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, okay, where do we start? So, and, and okay, I want to dive into a few of these, but the, the first thing is you're a big proponent of the call recording industry. You even say it was the biggest thing since Salesforce, you know, when, as far as pushing the industry forward. Why do you think that that's so important to get into that technology? And it's basically like table stakes for this. So many reasons. One, so historically, and, and I've been in sales, you know, for 30 years, historically, you do side by sides, right, where someone's shadowing you and, and mm-hmm. listening. So much time is wasted doing that. Because by the time you get someone on the phone, or even if if it's for an actual demo, then are they going to show up? And if they do, is that a stereotypical call, blah, blah, blah. And then you're forgetting a lot of what's happening along the way, right? So call recording software allows you to do the things that one, I'm talking to you about in triage, but every coaching book is telling you, right? But it also allows you to hold your reps accountable to listening to their calls, to making notes within their calls, to showing you progress, right? So let's take, for example, that you're working on, you know, setting a, a clear agenda at the beginning of your call. You can have that rep tag you in the call exactly where they set that agenda, comment on what agenda they set and let you know what they should have done differently. And you can comment back. So it's also delegation, right? Taking all of that responsibility off the manager's shoulders, not all, but the rep is doing all of the work and you're there to assist and and support, right? rather than the manager having to sit and take their time and listen. And then maybe you're getting a piece of that call written down, what have you, right? So I think Gong is what I'm currently using and I'm obsessed with it. Chorus is great. I think that those are the top two runners out there. I'm sure there are other ones, but game changing. You got to have these. Okay. So, and especially now working from home, I mean, everyone's working from home, so it makes it even more critical and we're doing everything on zoom. So you have the ability to do this quick question about SDRs. So a lot of times it's a one-way conversation. It's a brief conversation. There's probably a lot of gold, you know, within that conversation, but you got to ask them if you can record it and you're cold calling and stuff like that. Can you use those for SDRs or does it have to be a full cycle salesperson? 
Well, okay, so not all, it depends on where you're calling into, right? Not all states have recording laws. Obviously, you can't do it in California, but across the U.S., there are plenty of states that you can call into and record. And so, you know, and then you can also put a disclaimer. So you can also have them say like, hey, we're recording this call. Mostly you're getting those full cycle sales calls when it comes to those laws, but you definitely can use it for SDRs if you're calling into states that don't have as stringent as law of laws as California does. Got it. But I mean, these, you can see the applicability for the full cycle wrap and even customer success. I mean, there's so much there to do. Okay. So you're a big proponent of those. Everyone's going to check out those. And now let's go into it. So you start with tone, pace, and professionalism. I thought that was interesting because that's the almost like, okay, do they have a pulse? <laughs> you know, are they bleeding? Are they showing a bone? That's where you start with the coaching. Tell us about why it's important to start there. So at Yelp, we were hiring, you know, 30 to 60 people a month and training those humans. And 90, 95 to 99% of them had never picked up a phone for a sales call in their life, right? And they would get on the phone. And some of the challenges that you face are things like, hey, man, this is Tony calling from Yelp, you know, and nobody's going to take that seriously. And so I started realizing that that's the breathing. How do you sound? Do people want to buy from you just by how you make them feel when you pick up the phone? Can you speak like a professional? Can you carry a conversation? Are you speaking at it in a pace that people understand you? Are you speaking too fast, too slow? Now, again, there's caveats to all of those. So if you read the book for anybody that, that is listening right now, I've had people that are very monotone that are top producers, but that's how they sound on the day-to-day. Now, if they are a very enthusiastic person and they jump on the phone and they're monotone, that's not going to work for them because it's not natural for them. So it's, can you speak naturally? Are there disfluencies in there? Are you saying like, or, um, or those types of things too often because you're discrediting yourself, right? Are you professional? Do you sound like somebody that people would want to buy from? It's such a simple thing, but even in hiring, that's something you should be listening for in your role plays. So you should catch that ahead of time. But something happens when people get on the phones, when they get nervous and it kind of can go haywire, even if they sound really great naturally. So the tone, pace and professionalism is first because nothing after that matters. It doesn't matter how, you know, confident you are in your product knowledge. It doesn't matter how great your questions are. If you say them in a manner right? We, everybody knows this, this statistic that 80% of the value of what you're trying to convey comes from how you're saying it, right? And so that's why it's first, because that's kind of a deal killer. If Unless you can speak properly and in, in, in a way that people want to buy from you, then people aren't going to buy from you. Got it. And so that's a great place to start if anybody's out there that, you know, they're, you're newer to the sales profession. There's a lot of work to do there, right? Just in the tone pace and professionalism. And it's the starting point. It's the most important thing to get down. And the other thing that was interesting is for, you know, you mentioned that, that this is for sort of your, the meaty middle of the curve, right? And so you're going to have people who they're making 300% of quota and they, they break every rule in the triage program, but they're over there, you know? So this is for all of us, other people who, you know, can improve, right? 
Yeah. Well, I think, I think there are some things like, okay, so I'm working with someone right now who's one of the best salespeople that I've ever met. And yeah. he over talks all the time and he talks fast, right? But his industry and product knowledge is second to none. He sounds amazing on his calls. He sounds very professional, like someone you'd want to buy from. His discovery's outstanding. He has everything else. So he does break the rule of over-talking or talking over people and talking too fast, but he's so great in every other area and the results are there. So there is an asterisk in, in triage. It's like some of these things, the vast majority, you can follow this point by point. I've trained thousands of people over my career and it's pretty plug and play. I even have a company in Australia that it uses this and they're like, it's spot on. Right. But yes, there will be outliers just like with any other thing. Right. Exactly. And then on the flip side of that is if you've been implementing the triage program and you're just having kind of like the same conversation over and over again, it's not really taking that's the other end of the curve, right? That's when it's like, okay, maybe I made a bad hiring decision or you're just not really into this. Well, so that's the key, right? Yeah. I think that one of the hardest jobs as a sales leader, one is hiring well, and then two is coaching and getting them to perform or deciding that they're not right for the role. I think when you make that decision, have you put everything into them? Have they tried everything? You know, those types of things. And so triage really helps you take it piece by piece. So one of the, here's the thing, when I built triage, I built it for the people that I was working with and because it it worked really well. We had large classes that we were trying to ramp really fast and get out onto teams. And I had, I had new managers every month or every three months that I was working with. So they needed something tangible to help them ramp these teams. And so I didn't know why it worked. I just, or I didn't know the science behind why it worked. I just knew it worked. Right. And then two years ago, right. As I was finishing, you know, or really getting into writing triage, I read the talent code by Daniel Coyle. I'm not sure. Are you familiar? Yeah. Well, I know you mentioned it here. Mm -hmm. So he, and I'll keep it super brief, but he does this research around why there are pockets of talent around the world. And he calls it deep practice, right? And he talks about the science of myelin and how it develops in your brain. Great book, pick it up. But his science and his reasoning is why triage works because you take a call and you take a process and you master each piece to put together a work of art, right? So it's taking each piece of the call and perfecting it and doing deep practice to make sure that you've got that nailed down before you move on. Whereas a lot of coaching, what you'll see is it jumps all over the place. So if someone's trying to coach, again, they try to coach to their own ways of doing things. And it's like, hey, you should have said this. Now let's work on the clothes. Now let's do this, right? And that doesn't create a master at their craft. This helps you master each piece so that when it's done, it's a masterpiece, right? And so if you want to understand the science behind why triage works, I think Daniel Coyle really explains it in an impeccable way in Talent Code. That is a good way to put it. It's almost like a puzzle piece. And, you know, with those 300% people, they a lot of times get promoted to management because it's like, (laughs) well, I just want to clone whatever you're doing. You know, the, the boss says, here, make everybody just like you. And then they get super frustrated because they have this innate 
ability and they can't translate it to the normal everyday, you know, person, it seems. Oh, 100%. I think people know the the saying, the team takes the tone of the leader. So they'll take a top, top performing rep and put them in a leadership role. And I've seen that fail more often than I've seen it be successful, right? I think the the humans that are in an, in a sales role that can move into a leadership role show leadership tendencies and are also really good at sales, right? I think the team does take the tone. So you want someone that's accountable. You want someone that is hardworking. You want someone that's positive, all of those things. But you also want someone that can coach and lead a team to to results and success. I think just taking someone because they're a high performer and putting them in a leadership role, I've seen that fail more than, than I've seen it succeed. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they're achievers, right? So they want to move up in the company, get more responsibilities, more prestige and stuff. So they come to you probably and say, hey, I want to be, a, you know, get into management. And you're like, oh, great, you know, but, you know, at the same time, maybe they should just be the super rock star salesperson for the rest of their life because that's what they're really good at. So you never know, right? It's It, it all depends. Well, I think that's our job to create other career paths. So, and I think the stigma around sales is changing. So early days of being in sales, sales was not a career that was, you know, looked at in a favorable way. I think it still has some of that stigma, but I think that now that we're seeing tech really boom, you're seeing so many SaaS companies succeed. I mean, it's, it's fairly recession-proof in that there's always sales jobs available, et cetera. I think sales and and more, more and more colleges are having curriculum in sales, et cetera. I think it's starting to lose that stigma. And then as it's losing that stigma, creating other paths that not to get out of sales, right? People have used sales as a path to get into a company. But what if we create a world in which it's very honorable and exciting to move up in sales. So that person, instead of moving them into leadership, move them to enterprise, give them more responsibility and what they're really good at. Totally. I mean, and and it's interesting because they don't talk about it much, but a lot of CEOs of big companies, they work their way up through the sales organization. And it's kind of like you know, buried somewhere in their resume, you know, and it's got a fancy name or something, but it's like, wait a minute, you were a salesperson for 20 years, right? So, you know, hopefully it is, it's, it's losing that, that stigma because I mean, gosh, especially with the, the software industry coming up, you've got the engineering team and the sales team. That's basically like the whole company a lot That's of the it. time. Yep. You know? <laughs> so it's interesting. And now, so you go into, okay, we're going to work on our tone. We can use the call recorder. There has to be a structured call you know, format, call structure, and there's got to be deep industry and product knowledge. So take us through you know, that call structure, what we should be looking for. Yeah. And so let me you know, be very clear here. This is not a methodology. So if you're using, if you if you swear by Chandler or yes. Chandler, if you swear by Challenger Cell, if you swear by Solution Selling, you can still use those, right? This is not a methodology. This is just a way to make sure that they're using the methodology correctly and, and break down sales calls, right? So when I say call structure, is, is there a structure to the call? Or are they all over the place? So what that means is, do you set a clear agenda at the beginning? 
are you getting out all of your qualifiers? Are you asking, you know, whatever qualifiers your company needs, are you asking those at the beginning? Are you pulling objections at the beginning? Do you know how to paint the picture? And then do you know how to ask for the close? And then do you know how to follow up, right? So is there a structure to the call? Or are they jumping in, having a conversation, you know, talking about pricing a little bit, asking some qualifying questions, but showing some features like, are they kind of bouncing all over the place or are they following a tried and true structure that has worked for your company, right? I think every company knows, hey, this works for us. And so there's no there's no reason to A, reinvent the wheel and B, people shouldn't be going super rogue from that. Now, if you're on a conversation and the, the prospect is leading you in, an, in another direction, you don't need to fight that either, right? You should be having a natural conversation, but bringing it back to your agenda and making sure you're in control of the call and sticking to a, a fairly decent structure helps the call move forward. 100%. And you've got that confidence and the tone that you've been working on to move it forward but you're yet you're nimble depending on what's going on. And you can use your own methodology or blending methodology, but you've got to have the structure. And, and you, you have a call checklist in the book where the manager can literally, you know, even using the recording or being on the call can go through and make sure that they're following it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so that's the thing about a triage. I didn't add a bunch of superfluous language. It uses or it operates more like a manual, right? So you can keep it next to you and just use it like a manual. And so one of the things that I have in here is for managers to check themselves first, right? Make sure that you can check the box on all these things. Do you have a deep product and industry knowledge. Do you know how to speak on the phone? All of these things first, because you can't really teach it until you know how. And then triage. And then now here's some here's some checklists, et cetera, for you to follow to tie those two things together and make sure that you're actually moving the needle. You lose your credibility instantly if you can't do it and show them that you can do it, right? Absolutely. And now, okay, so what I've seen a lot is you you set up like a demo, quote unquote. And this is me as like a buyer, you know, I'll I'll set up a demo and literally there is no structure. It's it's like, hey, how you doing? Okay, I'm gonna share my screen. And then it's kind of they used to call it death by PowerPoint. Now I probably death <laughs> by Zoom. You know, they're showing me all these things that are just like, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get to a result. Like I literally don't care about your software. Like the software is just something I got to buy in order to get to the result, but they didn't even go through that with me. Do you see that happening? Oh my gosh, all the time. And that's, so okay. that's, the, that's the thing. And if you ask new salespeople, why people buy, they say, oh, you know, value or cause they like me or these like taglines. Right. Okay. And all of those are true, but in a combination people, people buy because of how you make them feel. And the feeling comes from the value and the solution, not how you make them feel like happy and, oh, I like you. That's not the case. Hopefully they do like you, but that's not as important. What's important is, do they feel like you are going to provide a solution that's going to change something for them, right? Do they feel like this is solving something? And I think a lot of people miss that. Also, when you're saying people are jumping on a call and they're just like, oh, let me share my screen. There's no genuine interest there. So that's why one of the steps in triage is you need to have a genuine curiosity. 
understand your customer, understand what they're trying to solve so that you can provide those solutions in a way that makes sense for them and makes them feel something. That's why people buy, right? And setting that agenda puts me in control. So if you've if you've been in sales for any even five minutes, you know that some of the hardest things to overcome beginning of a call, okay, but just tell me how much it is. Well, does it do this? And the person's like trying to take control of the call, right? Setting an agenda at the beginning and putting providing that call structure puts me in control of the call. When I say, hey, David, you know, I want to talk to you about, let's say, Salesforce. But before we do that, I need to understand what's going on with you and your business first so that I can tailor what I'm going to show you so it makes the most sense. So I'm going to ask you some questions and then I'll jump in. I'll show you how we provide those solutions. We'll go through pricing at the end and then we'll get you set up as long as you know you feel confident that we can that we can provide the solution that you're looking for and you know we'll move forward and this would be your start date, right? So me saying that, now you're not going to ask me about pricing because you know it's coming. You know what the structure is and now I am in control of the call. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to ask you questions about your business. You're going to answer them. I'm going to tailor my solution. You're going to tell me whether or not you're confident that I can provide the solution you were looking for. And we're going to either partner or part ways. Right. And and so I think for, for a new salesperson coming in and doing this, they don't have the 20 years experience and the industry knowledge. And, you know, they know they don't know the vocabulary and they might lack the confidence, but they can master the structure. It's kind of like, these are the things I could control. Here's what I can't control. It just takes time to build up, you know, knowledge and, and sophistication from making a lot of mistakes, but they can control the active listening and genuine curiosity. Like, do you really care about these people? Are you genuinely curious? Would you agree that they can control their amount of curiosity? Absolutely. They can control their active listening, their curiosity, their product knowledge. I think, you know, some of the best salespeople that I've ever seen have a deep knowledge of the industry and love it, right? They have that passion. The guy that I was talking about earlier that kind of breaks the rules, there's nobody that knows our industry as well as he does. And he knows everybody, he knows everything. And so he can have these amazing conversations, right? And so, yes, I love the way you put that. I don't even think I've put it in that manner, but I think that's the perfect way of explaining it is that you have new salespeople. And let's be real, with SDRs, most companies hire SDRs and expect them to come in and do their job. And I just think that's such a backwards way of looking at it. If you have an SDR team, as a matter of fact, there was a LinkedIn LinkedIn post the other day that I commented on that it was about getting rid of SDRs, right? Because they're just not really good for anything or whatever this person said. And I'm like, I disagree with that. If SDRs aren't doing well, or, you know, there's a lack of communication between the AEs and they're not moving up and becoming AEs or whatever your complaint is, it's because you haven't put your program together correctly right? You should have a program. If you expect them to come in and do a job, they should expect you to develop them as salespeople. That's what the title is. Sales development representative. You should be developing them and teaching them how to sell so they can move on and be an AE. That should be your bench into AEs, right? And so this, exactly what you said, David, gives you things they can control, things that your manager can control and things they can break down to teach them how to sell and move them into a sales role. 
That's so interesting because, you know, when I talk to SDRs, our advice is learn the industry that you're calling into, learn their vocabulary, listen to their podcasts, you know, get off of LinkedIn, stop talking to other SDRs, learn the target market and understand it. And then, you know, now that's a lifelong learning. I mean, you might stick around at the company for five years and you would still just be scratching the surface of that. So that's, that's fun. That's exciting. And, you know, they're like, well, how do I handle objections and stuff like that? Well, you got to know why they're objecting and what's important to them. Not there, It's not just a canned response that you can get out of the book. You got to understand their world a little bit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's why in mm-hmm. triage, that's number three, right? In the, yes. You have to get it down. Yes. And I mean, so there, it's almost like you could spend, you know, and I like how you put it in here. There's no excuse for not doing your homework, you know, studying, researching, and, and getting to know that market so you can get the vocabulary. There's that whole world. Next is the soft skills. How's your tone? How do you handle tough situations? You know, and then putting that grit and that hard work into it. If you've got those down, then you're in way better shape than someone who's just sitting there complaining about it. So, okay. So now we've gone through they're throwing objections at us and we need to paint the picture, get them really excited at the end. How do we handle that part of the call? Yeah. Well, so they're not throwing objections usually. So what I, what I encourage managers to really look for is, you know, after they're okay. So at this point they sound good, you know, there's a structure to the call. They have a deep industry and product knowledge. They, so they know what they're talking about. They're confident. They can use assumptive language and control the call. They know how to actively listen and they're curious, right? So they've got the foundation down of being a really great salesperson. So now can they put that into play? And in discovery, are they pulling objections? Are they uncovering objections? So what that means is, are they using that active listening and the product knowledge to say, hey, you mentioned, I'll give you a super easy one, but let's say someone says, you know, in the past, we, we, we didn't move forward with anything because it was always a budget issue. So, you know, if that comes up in discovery when you're talking, that's going to be an objection at the end. Price and, and, and budget is going to be an objection at the end. So I know you hopefully asked at the beginning, you know, have you, do you have a budget to put it together? Oh, yeah, maybe we did. But if that comes up, being able to be confident and say, okay, wait, let's take a step back, Mary. So you said you haven't looked at, you know, solutions in the past because budget has always been an issue. How are you going to change that? What, what's different? So you're on a call with me today. We're going to, you know, this is what we're talking about. So what have you personally done to develop a budget or what are you going to do to develop a budget or whatever, right? But uncovering that objection, not skipping past it. Right. Or, you know what, Mary, we've been talking this whole time, but I'm I'm assuming and I asked you at the beginning if anybody else has is going to be part of this call. And you said no or part of your decision. And you said no. But then you just said your husband, is he part of those decisions? Right. Are they bold enough to say like, hey, I'm guessing this is going to be a roadblock at the end of the call. Let's discuss it rather than skipping past it. Right. And so if people are trying to handle objections at the end of the call, it's too late. Right. I think now there are buying questions that come up at the end of a call if you've done a really great job on a call. But if something at the end of a call comes up and they say something like, well, you know, I'm going to run this. This has been all this has been great, Cheyenne, but I'm going to run it past my husband. I should have known that the spouse was going to be part of this conversation. 
a long time ago. It shouldn't be in the last five or 10 minutes of the call. Right. And so they used to call it happy years. I don't know if that's the <laughs> thing. That's still a thing. <laughs> that's still a thing. Okay. Yeah. It's been a while. So you get to the end and, you know, they're saying yes. And at this point, they probably, you know, just want to move on to the next, go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> they're like done with this call. So they're like, yeah, let me just, you know, I'm going to run it up to, you know, my boss and see what he says or she says. And, I'll get back to you, you know, and you're like, yay. And you go put it in your pipeline and you're really excited about it. <laughs> That's, do you see that happening? Well, I see it happening if they're not following what they should be doing, right? <laughs> you sh- That's, that's part of the beginning of a call. So walk me through the steps. So David, at, at the end of this call, if you feel confident that we can solve for you, what are going to be your steps to, to buy? Right. If I understand that from you at the beginning of the call and during discovery, right, then that shouldn't be coming up at the end. And then if it does, I'm going to say, okay, so David, at the beginning, this is what we talked about. You said this was the steps to buy. You also told me you would let me know at the end if you felt confident that I could solve for you. It feels like that's not where we landed. Right. Now you're telling me you need to go do this. Where did I fall short? So taking some of that vulnerability and saying, like, where did where did I lose you? And then also having a closing loop. Let's say you do everything perfect and this still comes up at the end. That's why I have the closing loop or the asking loop in with closing because it should be a circle, right? Not just a straight line. What I mean by that is if I did everything right and we get to the end of the call and you throw me one of those random objections, I'm going to say, Awesome. Okay. Yeah. You can definitely go talk to your wife, David, at the end, but let me ask you. So at the beginning, we said you would let me know if you felt like the solution, do you feel like this is going to solve? Yes. Okay. And you feel if you started working with us that you would hit that ROI that we discussed. Yeah. I feel like that. Okay. Is there anything else holding you back? No, there's not. Okay. Well, let's do this then let's go ahead and get you started because if you're telling me you're solving here and here and there's nothing else holding you back, sounds to me like this is the right time to move forward let's get you started. Right. So it's a, it's a, I'm going to acknowledge your question or your pushback. I'm going to bring back value and remind you why you're going to buy and remind you that you told me at the beginning X, Y, and Z. And then I'm going to ask again. Now that cycle can happen two to three times on an objection call. And then you'll start to suss out whether or not you should continue. You'll hear their tones change, or maybe they are serious. Like, no, I love this Cheyenne. I am going to move forward. This is great. Call me tomorrow. I'm just going to run it past my husband and we'll get started. Awesome. I don't even need to go through the cycle. I'm going to confirm. Okay. Sounds like you're going to move forward. I'm going to call you tomorrow morning at 8am and we'll get you set up. That's the strong follow-up, right? Exactly. And so it feels like those two things. One, you got to be okay getting out of your comfort zone. You know, because it's like, it feels like that's where a lot of people get trapped because you're not supposed, as you're coming up as a kid, right? You're not supposed to confront people, you know, and then you get sort of nailed down or hit down, you know, if you keep confronting people. But we're asking these people to, you got to be a little bit confrontational in a nice, polite way. But it's like, hey, Bob, you told me that, oh, my tone's not good. Bob, you told me. (laughs) I'm working on it. You know, you said that if we did X, Y, and Z that you would. And so we're asking them to be a little bit confrontational. Is that right? Well, so I always steer away from the words aggressive or confrontational or any of those types of words, just because the stigma that sales is held. I actually think it's very professional, right? I think the analogy that I give my sales team is if you, if you hired a trainer 
to get you into shape, right? So you hired someone to solve your problem. And I know they're not hiring us, but they are talking to us about a solution for them. So if your problem or if your company and your product actually solves for something, right? You expect that solution to come in and solve. And so if you hired a trainer, how would you feel, David, if you're giving your trainer $100 an hour and they were like, hey, you know, you should probably do some (laughs) sit-ups. Exactly. Yeah, you just feel like, this isn't good. You want someone with rock solid abs, you know, who's like walking around with a whistle, you know, yelling at you. Uh, That's what I want. Yeah, (laughs) that's what you want. And so, well, let's find a happy medium, right? So I would prefer not the yelling, but I want someone to sit there and go like, no, you're not giving up. You're going to do 12 more, you know, pushups. Come on, Cheyenne, you did 10 yesterday. Let's get you to 12, right? And that motivation and taking control. Well, or even if you swing the pendulum in analogies and you say, okay, if your insurance company called you and they knew they could save you money, do you want them to say like, oh, hey, David, I kind of want to talk to you because there's maybe possibility of, no, you want me to call and say, David, we're actually, you're actually paying $100 more a month than you should be. Let's get on a call and have this conversation so we can reduce what you're paying, right? And so I think it's a way of speaking professionally. You are a product consultant you are the expert in your field. They are their business and they are the expert for their business. When you two come together, you should be able to speak with conviction and confidence and believe in what your solution is. So if I believe in my solution, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, okay, yeah, get back to me, David. I'm going to say, no, David, you asked me to provide a solution. I'm very confident that we can hit the numbers that we discussed. And I'm very confident that we can solve what you asked us to solve. Let's move forward because every day that's wasted, you're missing out on that, right? Like, don't drag your feet, personal trainer. Let's get on that treadmill. Let's lose the weight because it's always going to be an issue, right? 100%. And so, you know, I'm stating it wrong. It's not confrontational. It's almost like motivational. Like, like you know, we agreed that this was going to change your life and, you know, everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows. And now you're saying, well, I don't know. You know, it's like, come on, let's go. You know, exactly. I love that <laughs> motivational. Yes. It's not confrontational. It's motivational. Get your butt it. on the treadmill. We're going <laughs> to lose the weight. You got to look at it that way, but you do, you've got to be somewhat into your product and, you know, into the, the change and really believe it yourself as a salesperson. What if somebody's on the listening to this and they're going, Hey, I sell, you know, secured router services to, (laughs) you know, B2B MSPs or, you know, something. And like, I'm just trying to make a living here, lady. You're telling me to, you know, get motivational. What do you say to them? Well, so, but then you adapt, right? So I think here's the thing I've sold insurance SaaS different, right? You know, Yelp is advertising different, doing software for vets now different. And I think that you evolve, or I would say metamorphosize right into your industry. So if in listening, going back to having a robust call recording system and listening to calls, you're going to understand that buyer and why they buy and what excites them, even if the excitement isn't palpable, palpable, right? Like if you're talking to a bunch of IT people, it's probably going to be no offense to IT people out there, but it's probably going to be very monotone conversation and very data heavy, right? So then come to those calls data heavy 
and understand why that buyer buys and your motivation is different then. You may not be using the you know personal trainer tones, but you're still using the approach in that you have a problem. I have a solution. Let's move forward and solve this for you. Right. So you can get motivated about that. Not necessarily you're doing backflips over yeah. whatever. But, well, but so it, I strongly yeah. recommend not being that type of salesperson. I think that if you go back to Challenger, I, I love Challenger. I don't think it stands on its own necessarily all the time. But I think that in this day and age where everyone has access to information and, and thinks they're the smartest person about what they're looking at, you have to be your product an industry expert, and you have to be able to challenge people on what they know and what they think they know. Yeah, 100%. Because the stats that come out is like, people can do 70% of their research, there's always different ones, but they're doing a lot of the research before they even talk to the salesperson. So the expectation of that call, if they're going to spend the time with you is, is much higher. And you know, they've got a lot more information. So it's almost like you have to be the guide, you know, through this jungle of information that's out there. And don't waste people's time. Don't waste their time. I think that's where triage helps is by simplifying and fine tuning the call to make it super valuable. So you're not wasting people's time. Yeah. And just, this is such a great approach. I think people are going to love that. If you haven't gotten this, you got to get this book. You know, it's funny because now when I go on to look at a product or something like that, I just want to see like a three minute video. I'm like, can you send me just like a three minute video so I don't have to go through the torture of like a half an hour of somebody talking about a bunch of stuff that I don't care about? You know, <laughs> those people have not gotten triage sales coaching by Cheyenne Sampson. So go grab it today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for walking us through it. I'm super excited about this. How do we get it? Is it on the usual on channels? Yeah. yeah, it's on Amazon. You can just jump on Amazon. There's a Kindle version and a paperback version. Again, it's super simplified, so you can just use it as a manual. And I hope everyone enjoys it. And I hope it makes you hit all your revenue goals. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And everyone connect with Cheyenne on on LinkedIn and, you know, use it and let us know how it goes. I, I think this is a total game changer for newer managers and even old guys like me. I mean, I was, I was like, oh my God, I really need to use this. So thanks for coming on the sales development podcast and we'll see you soon. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the sales development podcast. The only audio forum, 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.